You can see why I let him sing instead of me. What a blessing. But what a truth. I'm, hey, I'm amening too. It, it's not an oh me there. Um, when he told me the song and we were looking over the lyrics and you know it's so sad but true that Bethlehem slept through it Jerusalem slept through it now America has gone to sleep on the truth of, of who Christ is and what Christ can do in our life and, and what's even worse and, and there may need to be a, another verse added is Church of the Living God while you were sleeping. The Bible teaches us that there are many going to and fro and don't know where they're going. That the world is full of lostness. And yet, we bicker on non-essential things. We focus on what do I deserve? We started last week in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes as we continue looking at the laboratory of life. Solomon, you remember, uh, who is Coleth, I believe, the, the preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes. He is the difference in the things of this world versus the God over the world. He talks about all the things that are under the sun versus he who is above the sun and the creator of it. He speaks of vanity and vexation of spirit and how the things of this world over and over and over, he said, I tried this and this and this and it was vanity, it was vain. He said, it literally was like a bubble that had risen up with the, the substance of what I thought would bring me joy and happiness and then my bubble burst, and it left nothing to remain. But God remains through it all. God remains through all the money and all the popularity and all the vacations and all the victories of life comes defeat and rejection brokenness, bitterness. But what remains when the bubble bursts? What remains in our life? Is there any substance which is Jesus Christ and Him alone? This morning we start in verse 10 and look through the remaining part of the chapter on this fact. Life isn't fair. God is. Life isn't fair. Now, there's an argument, and I tend to agree with it. Life is not fair for everyone, thus life is fair. But that's not always the case. Because he speaks in this scripture of people who are walking the worldly path, and all they receive is accolades, nobody calls them into question, and they go to the grave having done whatever they want, and enjoying the fruits of this life. But he says that's not all there is. Look in verse 14. 
Ecclesiastes 8, verse 14. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men, men who are righteous, unto whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. And again, there be wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. The king had sat in his ivory tower. He had sat behind the golden cloaked doors in Jerusalem, and he had watched the comings and goings of the city. He had saw the people in his political circles and the people in power who had done whatever they want and were wicked men and yet received a righteous burial. They were talked about as being heroes of life and oh, how we would have never survived had it not been for these wonderful men and women who had provided so much for so many. And yet the righteous who never drew attention to themselves, the preacher said, came and went and in their passing, they were just cast away as those who should be done that way because of wickedness. He said the righteous treated as wicked and the wicked treated as righteousness. He said it's all vain and vanity. We're living in a world that doesn't know the difference between black and white, up and down, right and wrong. To the point that in the world and even in the church, we are calling righteousness wickedness and wickedness right. Everything is just turned upside down. And I don't know about you, but I get real discouraged in that. When I look around at people whose lives are being destroyed and lives falling apart, and yet the world promotes and pumps them up and says, oh, you're doing it right. Solomon has words for that. First of all, the injustice of it all. The injustice of it all. Look in verse 10. And I, so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. They had come and gone from the temple. They had gone to church Sunday after Sunday, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Now, it's not that the, he said the wicked went and they were forgotten. It's not that people just forgot they existed. It was that they've forgotten their wickedness. You and I both have attended funerals where we knew that person. And this is hard to swallow, but I'm going to tell you something now. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, throw the Baptist out the door. If you are born again by the blood of Jesus, then you know there's only one way to glory. Let's get back to what matters. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. It was no joke. It was not just for consideration when he looked at Nicodemus and Jesus said, you must be born again. And yet we sit in funeral after funeral knowing the person has lived a life destitute 
from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have lived like hell on earth and yet preachers and family members get up and preach them into heaven. That's what Solomon's talking about. Now I want you to notice, good words doesn't equal a good life. There's a lot of people talk a good line. You hear me? There's a lot of people who can talk good. They can talk brilliantly. They can get on Fox and Friends. They can get on CNN. They can get on uh, uh, church panels and deacon bodies and in pulpits and talk a good line. But if they've never bent the knee and bowed their head and got honest in their sinfulness and confessed Jesus is the Christ, come into my life, forgive me and save me, they'll die and go to hell. And no matter how eloquent the preacher preaches and no matter how many poems and how many good country gospel songs they sing at the funeral, they still went to hell. I do not say that with pride, arrogance, or joy. I say that in the deepest brokenness. Can I tell you something? You're not doing your family member a lick of good by walking them down the sweet primrose, don't want to upset anybody's feeling, path to hell you really love your family member, you really love that person you say you care about, then you'll tell them Jesus is the only way. For if Jesus is not the only way, why are we here? If we can just kind of, you know, at the end, and the, here's the deal, it's been polled. Most average church members literally believe ultimately everybody's going to heaven. I've got news for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, says there's very few that's going to glory. He said, but the way that leads to destruction is very wide. And may I also say, there is not a waiting room of purgatory so that you can get it all worked out after you've enjoyed your life of sin. When you die, you will either die in grace or die in your sins. There is no third option. Good words, listen to me church, good words. I've met some really good people in this world. I've met some wonderful people. Can I really surprise you with something? I've met some wonderfully moral senior citizens, wonderful grandmas and granddaddies who's taken care of their families, took care of their grandkids, Bought them all four-wheelers and rangers and took them fishing and hunting and took them to Disney World three times a year. But if they don't know Jesus Christ, I don't care how good they were and how good they cooked, they're going to die and go to hell. That's not popular preaching today. But it's truth. It's truth. And we're here on Father's Day. You know what being a good father is? I love hearing Brother Romy this morning. He served in the Marine Corps. He served as a coach. He's been a mentor. He serves with a Gideon. But you know what makes Romy a great man? Not because he was a Marine. Not because he's a Gideon. But because he's a believer in Jesus Christ and a brother. That's what makes him a great man. That's what makes him a great man. It's not the most eloquent of preachers that, that makes them so great. It's not because they have the greatest singing voice in the world. It's because 
You are saved by the grace of God. Good words doesn't equal a good life. It's hypocrisy. It is what the Pharisees did. Oh God, look at me. I've gave a bunch of money. Look how good and long I pray. Oh God, I can go day after day fasting. That bunch of publicans can't do like we do. I love our youth ministry. I love what we do with our students, and we're going to pray at the end of this service. We're going to pray over them as they're leaving to go on mission tomorrow. To do what we did, you know, all of you who served in Vacation Bible School, wasn't it a great week? Weren't you tired Thursday night? Well, they're going to do it again. They're leaving tomorrow going to do it, and they're driving six hours to do it. In Shelby, North Carolina. But you know what? You can go up there and you can serve all day, all night. You can do all that kind of stuff. But if you don't know Jesus Christ and the love of God doesn't restrain you and motivate you, then you have missed the mark. It's not about doing stuff. It's not about doing. It's about being. It's not about the hypocrisy of saying, that's why the world so often doesn't want anything to do with the church because it doesn't look any different. Why would you want to join an organization that says, I want you to come, and you've got to give so many hours, you've got to work, you've got to serve, you've got to take down chairs and put chairs back up, and in between you need to give us some money, and we're going to do some stuff, we want to pay off debt, build some buildings, we want to do this kind of stuff, and buy cakes, you know, you, you need to buy a cake every year for about $350, and you need to come cook hot dogs, and you need to keep the nursery. Why in the world would anybody want to do that if it looks just like what they're doing in the world without all that? If they can go to the bar, and they can walk in, and everybody knows them, doesn't judge them, ask them what's going on, how's everything in life, if they can go to the clubs, if they can go to the hangouts, if they can get online and play games and, and, and be anonymous to the world and nobody tries to pick into their business, then why in the world would they want anything different? But you see, there's an emptiness in all men, in all women, in all children that is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And you and I are not Him. We're not the Holy Spirit of God, but we are a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and most importantly, love like Jesus, why would anybody want anything we've got to offer? It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy to come here every Sunday and look no different Monday through Saturday. It's hypocrisy. Good words... He tells us in verse 10, don't matter. Because the good words of these men and women who came and went but were wicked, they didn't, they didn't remember all their evil stuff. Isn't it amazing when people die how we forget all that? We forget what a crook they were. And we'll look for, now I've seen some folks, it was really hard to look for something good to say. I mean, you had to dig deep. But we'll find something. If he, there was a preacher in Hiram one time. Wasn't me. 
But there was another pastor there, and he was called to do a funeral for a woman who is a member of their church, but had not come in many years since he was there. And so they asked him to come and do this funeral. He had no idea who she was, never even heard of her before this. And so he sits down on a Friday night with a family for about 20 minutes to try to figure out how he's going to talk about this woman during the funeral. Number one, I've learned don't. Just don't. If I don't know him, I'm just going to give him Jesus because this is what will happen. So he listens to what they have to say. He gets home, he's trying to look at stuff, he gets up the next day, and all the family and everybody's come in, all the grandkids and all the aunts and uncles and cousins, they've come in from everywhere, and he stands up to try to preach this funeral, and he begins with this statement. He said, well, we're here today to honor sister so-and-so, and we just, we're going to read some scripture, and he does all that, and he, but he, in, he starts in, and he gets it mixed up, I guess, is the only excuse, in his mind of something he had done for someone else. And he said, you know, there's a lot of stuff could be said about sister so-and-so, and I didn't really know her, but one thing everybody knows is what a great housekeeper and how very, very diligent she was to take care of everything. And her family literally laughed out loud because she was a slob and a hoarder. The house you couldn't even get in. Because of old newspapers and stuff junked up, dishes always in. She never kept house. Ever. You couldn't have missed the mark any more than the statement he made. But it goes to the point of how we will do whatever we can to try to make something sound good. Well, besides, you know, besides running from the law, doing crack, and uh, getting life uh, in the penitentiary, they're really a good person in their heart. That sounds like something we all say. Well, you know what? I, I know he beat his kids and stuff. He's a good man. He provides for them. Really? Listen, good words does not equal a good life. They've got a match. I got news for you. A four-year-old will know the difference. A four-year-old will tell the tale. If you don't believe that, teach four-year-old Sunday school when you ask prayer requests. They'll tell it all. Right living doesn't equal recognition. You see, he said the, the, the wicked are buried like they're righteous, but the righteous are treated like they were wicked. I want you to understand, I've been harping on the bad side. There's a lot of people doing it right, okay? There's a lot of people doing it right. They're living for the Lord. They're here at Bible school after working all day, every day. They were here on time, early, late. A lot of people didn't leave here till 9 o'clock every night. Those that left at 8, got out of here before the rush, there were people here still cleaning up at 9 o'clock every night. People who are dedicated, people who love, people who care, people who teach faithfully, who, who pour over that Sunday school lesson every week. Those, those deacons who really care that, that the lights, bulbs are burning and that the yard looks good. A custodian that wants to make sure that the air's just right and things are working and the bathrooms are clean. 
secretaries and, and ministers who want to make sure children are taken care of and youth are growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. People who want to make sure that it's the right songs God wants. We've got people who are doing it right. But I want you to get the truth of this. Right living doesn't always equal recognition. And we need to get over ourselves. And what I mean by that, we ought to recognize. Look, I am thankful for Matt Tucker. I'm thankful for Elena and Timmy and Stacy and Philip uh, and, and Milligan and Lauren uh, and Philip and, and everyone that does that computer every week and for John and Michelle and Joellen and Bridget. I'm thankful for all of our deacons. I'm thankful for every Sunday school teacher. I'm thankful for you. But listen to me. We don't all need to be waiting to get pumped up to serve God. God is enough. This life is not all there is. Right living doesn't equal recognition. Sometimes life is about anonymity. We just do it. You know what I found the greatest church members in the world? Are the ones that you almost forget about. Because they just worship and serve and they don't, they don't need patted on the back. They don't need to be recognized. They don't even need their hands shook on Sunday. They're just there to worship the Lord, and they're glad to be there. Amen? I mean, sometimes life's about anonymity. Let me ask you a question, and I'll give a $100 bill to anybody. It's not a joke. You ready, McLean? Because you're, you're as smart as anybody here. A $100 bill. To anybody who can name me just one, and you don't even have to, all I need is one name of the four guys that lifted the lame guy up and let him down in the roof so that he could get to Jesus and Jesus healing. Name me one of them. You can't, why? Why can you not? Bible doesn't even use their name, does it? But does it tell us the story that they took care of their friend? They loved him enough that they got him to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. It's not about having, look, Billy Graham didn't care about his name being used. He just wanted to reach people for Jesus. Name recognition means nothing except for the name of Jesus. Let's lift him up. And I'm going to tell you, when we lift him higher and higher and he draws more and more, the less we will care about us. Don't be surprised when there's animosity. He said the righteous were treated as wicked. You know what the world calls you that are sold out and believes the Bible as the inerrant, infallible word of God? Fanatics, one of them, but they went past that. Now they just think we're all crazy. How can you be so gullible? How can you be so gullible to believe this old book that has been throughout all these years and there could be all these changes and all this stuff? I said, well, show me the change. Show me the change. You're so smart. Show me the change. Yeah, but no, 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 no. You, you have given an accusation against the Word of God. Show me the change. And then I go into the whole deal. There's over 5,000 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's more eyewitnesses 
to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than the shooting of Abraham Lincoln in Ford Theater. There's more eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there was of Brutus and the overthrow of, of, of Caesar. There's more. There's more historicity to the, the, the literal existence of the Son of God, born of a virgin, living without sin, dying on a cross, resurrecting from the grave, living for 40 more days before he ascended back to glory. There's more evidence of that 33 and a half years than of our lives ever existing. But the world hates it. You know why the world... Listen, I want to make it as practical as I can for you today. Have you ever been attacked or abused because of your Christian faith? Have you ever felt like you were an outcast because of it? If not, you ain't doing something right. Because Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Is that not what he said? So here's the deal. If they have, they've mistreated you, misspoke, they have been harsh, they've tried to belittle you, I want you to understand something. That animosity, though directed at you, is not about you. Their guilt and shame comes out in anger toward the one that causes it. Because standing in the glorious righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are all wretched, filthy, vile sinners. And rather than succumb to the, the facts and surrendering the will and dying to self, they lash out in whatever way they can to try to turn the attention away from themselves and turn it back on us. Man, Becky and I, we're hooked on that live PD that comes on Friday and Saturday night. It just cracks me up. Because, you know, there's this old, on, there was a country station in, in Atlanta when I was growing up, uh, 101.5, and every day at a certain time, they had a little segment called Crooks are Stupid. And they would always talk about how these crooks did something and they got caught. Did y'all see where the, the truck run off in the swamp they were chasing the other day in Effingham County? It was his truck. Number one, it was his truck he ran off in the water. But once they run the, the, the identification of the truck, it's who they were. My favorite of all times, a guy went in and robbed a bank. And he was riding a motorcycle so he could get away quick. And he had a helmet on. He kept the helmet on, Steve, so that nobody could see his face. Had a dark shield. And so they zoomed in. They couldn't see his face. Didn't need to. Had his name wrote on the back of his helmet. <laughs> Pulled up and got him. But on this live PD, it never fails. They'll pull these people over. And one last night, I mean, all kind of meth and everything else. And he's, he said, well, I don't agree with the kind of drug test that y'all use and the stuff. And, and you could already have it in there. And so he went through... Three or four, he got out of, he said, look, brand new case, pill and wrap, he said, brand new test. He, and every kind of, the, the pastor was more patient than anybody I ever met in my life. I mean, the, the police officer, a lot in common there. He gets, and he just, he stays calm, he said, okay, you want it, so we're going to do it this way, this way, this way. He goes through, goes through, goes through, and finally, 
You know, every task, every test. He said, you see right there, let's, let's read this chart. This chart right here says this amount, you know, this drug, this. And, and it's always some, well, it was your fault for, one guy was, well, you made me drive across erratically because you got behind me. Really? It was, police officer said, it was my fault for being on the roadway making you drive across the center lane. We're always looking for someone to defer we don't ever want to take responsibility for ourselves. And the shame is, we've taught our kids that. We've taught them in school, it's the teacher's fault. We've taught them in life, it's the judge's fault, and it's the police officer's fault. I got news for you. When you die and you stand before a righteous, holy God, they're not going to call your teachers up and hold them accountable. They're not going to hold me accountable for whether you are born again or not. Get over the animosity, deal with the anonymity, and live right without having to be recognized. But it's an injustice. I get it. Look, I believe somebody who does right, they ought to be treated right. But what did we say? Life isn't fair. But as we'll see, God doesn't miss it, okay? Sometimes it's nice just to do something real quiet, and walk away and just smile knowing God is shining down on you. Amen. I mean, that's, that's where it's at. But look, in verse 11, this is strong right here. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Injustice. Sin is ignored. The famous writer Robert Frost said that in America, we, in our judicial system, we put together 12 jurors to decide who's got the better lawyer. <laughs> Is that not true so many times? Who can spend the most money? But he said here, that sin is being ignored. A sinner does evil, and yet judgment is not executed speedily. And so the hearts of the Son of Man is fully set in them to do evil. If your kids see you justifying sin, they'll continue. Look, sin is ignored. Why? Because we blinded our eyes to it. That song that Jared sung about is how America is sleeping on how we don't care about the life of unborn children. We're tired of hearing about abortion. Well, I got news for you. God's tired of it happening. God's tired of school shootings. I want to tell you something. You can disagree with me if you want. God's tired of homosexuality. God's tired of pornography. God's tired of the opioid addictions. God is tired of sin. But the way to solve it, the way to solve it is not locking down the internet like we're China. It's not taking over the hospitals like we're Korea or Canada. It's not 
taking away everybody's guns and outlawing all of that. I'm going to tell you how you solve abortion without blowing up the clinics. How you solve school. I'm, 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 look, you write this down. We have a press conference. I'll tell the world about it. The solution is we need to give them Jesus. That's, that's, that's the only way you're going to change it. I've got guns, and I've never once thought about going and shooting up the school. Church, the only way we're going to deal with the debt of depravity in this world is not try to legislate it and fix it in our own, but we have got to stop blinding our eyes to what is really there. We live in our own little walled-off communities to where we, we, we believe we are not susceptible to those things, and we move and we do and we maneuver to try to get away from it, but God says lost people are where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be light in a dark world. We're supposed to be salt in an unsavory society. We can't run from it. We need to run to it. Stop closing our ears as we hear the cries of the unborn. Stop silencing our voice when we stand in the public arena and stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. Not my opinion, what God says. I'm a terrible preacher with terrible ideas. But if I stay in this book, I cannot be wrong. I cannot be wrong. Because what happens when we blind our eyes and close our ears and silence our voice? We become hard-hearted and we stop caring. Sin's ignored. We just, we get used to it. Well, you know, that's my, that's my, those are my words and it's no big deal. And, you know, I just, I, I just say them when I get mad. And I, well, you know what? Don't be surprised. Hear me now. Don't be surprised when your three and four year old becomes a 15 year old and they, they lock them up for racism and they lock them up for alcoholism and they lock them up for the perverse things that they do because they've heard and seen mom. Well, I ain't never done it to that extent. No, but you allowed the seed to be planted and to think a little bit was okay. Everybody can't handle what you can handle. And your kids may be very susceptible to, to being all in. And so they can't just take one drink or, or, or smoke one joint or, or, or watch one little thing of pornography and move on. They may become hooked and depraved and our jails are full of them. Because when sin is ignored, then sin becomes embraced. We justify it. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's the 21st century and the Bible's just old. I'm going to tell you, every day I get up, that Bible is alive and speaks to me. It's as alive as it's ever been. We justify it. We say, oh, but, but uh, God, didn't, God knew that things was going to change. Yeah, God did, and he wrote that. It doesn't change the old covenant. It doesn't change the law. It doesn't change that right's right and wrong's wrong. 
We cannot justify sin. Then we rationalize it. Well, you know what? I know that some of the stuff I do is not great, but compared to them, I'm great. Don't rationalize. Because once again, when we stand before God, you start trying to point, God's going to say, their time is coming. I'm dealing with you. Where are you in your relationship? And look, sin's been so embraced that the things that were done in secret are not only done openly now, but are legalized around the world. It's just openly accepted. And you're a kook if you don't think it's okay. But I digress. Sin is ignored. And in so doing, sin becomes embraced. But notice the equity. He said in verse 12, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times. You hear me now? Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, have any of us ever said, God, what is the deal? Why does that person just live like that and they just keep prospering? Life is great. Nobody, nothing ever ha- seems to happen to them. Though a sinner, though the wicked does evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. We need to understand judgment cannot be avoided. There's an old hymn that says there's a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by. Church, it is. There is a real judgment seat of Christ for you believers. And there's a real white throne judgment for all the lost. And God's going to judge. This world's not going to keep going. Jesus is coming back. Maranatha. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Jesus is coming back. If he came back, listen to me. If he came back before the sun sets. Will he'll find you faithful? Will you be proud? Will you be like, I don't know about you, but there's been days in my life where I got caught doing something. Whether it's by my daddy or my mama or, or a grandparent or something like that. And, or, and it just embarrassed me. You remember when Peter saw Jesus walking in the last chapter of John? Remember Peter was on the boat and he said, I'm going fishing. I don't know what Jesus is going to do, but so I'm just, I'm going back to fishing. And he's up there and he's down to his girdle. He, I mean, he's out there. He don't care about anybody or anything. And here's a voice and he looks and it's Jesus walking on the shore. And Peter was so embarrassed, he jumped in the water to cover himself. But you know, that happened thousands of years before in the first few chapters of Genesis, didn't it? God came walking in the cool of the day. And he cried out, Adam! Adam, where are you? Adam's over here. God, I'm back here. He said, what are you doing back there, Adam? What's the deal? He said, well, I heard your voice, but... I hid. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. 
Who told you you were naked, Adam? God knew where Adam was. You know that, right? He wanted Adam to realize where Adam was. And see, judgment could not be avoided. He couldn't hide because all of us before a holy God are naked before His grace and mercy. Listen to me now. Before a holy God, He sees the most hidden secrets in your life. When nobody else is watching, God knows your heart. God knows. And you need to understand, wickedness will not advance. There'll be no wickedness in glory. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for what you sow. That shall you also reap. But you know life's worth living. Why? Because he lives. He said in verse 15 through 17, Then I commended mirth, because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. And by the way, this is not the hedonistic, oh, just live it up, drink it up, do whatever makes you feel good. He's talking about enjoying the Christian life. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep with his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man thinks to know it, he shall not be able to find it out. It's a mystery, isn't it? Life's a mystery. You're never going to have all the answers. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto God, but that which is revealed belongs unto us. We need to seek Him. We need to seek His glory. But we need to understand, we cannot handle God-sized knowledge. And God will give us a little along the way. And we don't have the answers to everything. We're not going to have them. We're not going to have all the answers, but what we must do, we must listen to who He is. Hear His voice in our life leading us. He said that our footsteps are ordered by the Lord. Well, where does God want you to put your feet? You know how you'll know? Listen. We must learn. We're never too old. We think vacation Bible school, we think the Bible's just about kids, just teaching them something about, you know, uh, Daniel in the lion's den and David killing Goliath and, and, and Jesus walking on the water. But you know what? There's a lesson in all that for you and me. The, the Bible is our lifeline. It is our road map. It is our truth that we must learn. And when we learn it, just like the Shema in Deuteronomy, we need to hear, listen, learn to obey. What's God calling you to do that you've not yet surrendered to? What is it that you're using as an excuse that needs to be laid on this altar? What is it that you're suffering because you're not being obedient to the Lord? And joy, and gladness, and hope, and happiness has been diminished in your life because He said, it is not good for man to not enjoy life. 
And if you're just going through the same old routine, just get up, work, go to bed. Same old stuff, day after day. Go to work, go to church, go to the ball field, go on vacation, go shopping, go to Walmart, go back to church, do some praying, do some, and it's just routine, routine, routine. He said, life's worth living. Y'all didn't enjoy life. Y'all didn't enjoy life. Y'all didn't enjoy church. Y'all didn't enjoy family time. Y'all didn't enjoy the work of your hands. God has given you life. You know how I know it? You're breathing. As a local car dealer say, if you can fog up a mirror, and I'll even loan you a mirror. Some of us, look, it would take the mirror test to make sure that you are living. Are you listening? Are you mad because you feel like you've been done wrong? Hey, I get it. I'm not saying suck it up. I'm not saying get over. I'm telling you, I get it. But I'm telling you, we're in this together. All believers are done that way. Because you know what? Bethlehem did sleep on the king. He was born in a barn, wasn't he? There's no room in the inn. You know where he was crucified? Golgotha, we know that, right? Place of the skull. But did you know it's not in the city of Jerusalem? It's outside the wall? Because they, they didn't want to dirty their, their religion with crucifying. Because crucifixion is not something the Jews do. They were totally against it. So they let the Romans do it and do their dirty work. Bethlehem slept on Jesus. Jerusalem slept on Jesus. Didn't want him in there. Didn't want to make him comfortable. Didn't want to accept him for who he is. And I'm going to tell you, America and the church of the living God has gone to sleep on God, on the son of the living God. The only one that's, got, that's going to change it. The only hope we've got, church, is Jesus. They come to the instruments. If you feel like lately life's just not been fair, The truth is, life's never been fair. But maybe you just need to get a good dose of understanding and being reminded that God loves you. And that all things will work together for good to them that love Him. To them who are called according to His purpose. Are you right where God wants you to be? Are you born again? Are you saved by the grace of God? Or are you still trying to convince yourself and everybody else you're okay? You're a good daddy. You're a good friend. You're a good daughter. You're a good grandmother. Whatever your excuse is. But you have never fallen on your face before a holy God and said, I'm lost. God, I'm going to die and go to hell without the blood of Jesus applied to my life. And you need to come and plead the blood of Jesus. I'd rush to this altar because I'm born again, been saved since uh, 1972, but just the thought of it scares me. To be reminded of dangling over a fiery hell of damnation and separation of second death where God will never hear you and you'll never be remembered. 
church, do we need to be reminded of that so that we would have a deep burden for those who are lost around us? Maybe we've got our priorities all out of whack. We're looking at everything but Him. Moving up in our jobs, moving up prosperity-wise, the things we're trying to amass. We need to be reminded it's about Him, not about us. Whatever you need to pray about, if you need to be baptized, you've been born again first. But you need to follow in believer's baptism. You need to come join at Eastside and serve the Lord. Whatever you need to do, stand. Right now, and without hesitation, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's our only hope.